Girl, this year I have called it the upside down backwards. I was like, we we are in a, a disorienting reality is where we are. Hey there, and welcome to Planet Now, where it's all about the people, places, things, and ideas that teach us, prompt us to make a difference, and do more with what life presents. This episode is another installment in the COVID-19 catch-up series. I just made that up. I'm chatting with guests, with past guests on Planet Now, to find out how they've been faring during this extremely rough year for a lot of people, known as 2020. So the last time Dr. Lakeisha McMillan was on, we were talking about family health history. That was about two years ago, around Thanksgiving time, an episode a little bit ahead of that holiday. Now, there's a lot to talk about this time around because this year has been a piece of work. So let's get to it with Dr. Lakeisha McMillan right here on Planet Now. Mm-hmm. It is just so disorienting. We have no true north that we can readjust our compass to. Mm-hmm. And that, I believe, it has become the, the impetus for just feeling the angst that we all feel. Right. It's like Alexander's no good, very bad day. Stretch. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And it is just this free fall. You're in free fall and you don't know when you're going to hit the bottom. Hmm. Do you think we're anywhere near the bottom? Uh, no. And okay, so let's talk about what makes you think we're nowhere near the bottom. Because you have people, you know, being hopeful. Um, is it because we don't have a true north uh-huh. yeah or See, at least uh, maybe a finish line a we don't have, we don't have a we don't have a finish line so when it comes to having to deal with um when it comes to dealing dealing with situations that are just not so comfortable a lot of times we can get through it if we know the amount of time that we're going to be in it for and that is part of what gives you that elasticity in your rubber band that resiliency so when you know, okay, we've got to do this probably for another year. If we knew that, we would just hunker down, do what we got to do. But because we don't have in place the structure, the standard operating procedure, so to speak, to be able to look to and say, okay, um, this is going to help us get through this flow chart. If yes, go here. If no, go here. Um, because we don't have the ability for our scientific community to take charge and be that true North Star, then we're kind of all doing our own thing and we're trying to paddle and, and water still coming in the boat. I like how you said that. You said a whole lot without naming any names. You were specific without being specific, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> So, okay, so a question about that. So when it comes to us not knowing how long this thing is going to last, do you think we have the maturity overall as a society, and I'm specifically speaking about the U.S. here, do you think we have the maturity overall as an American society to deal with the fact Let's rewind back in March to deal with the fact that, number one, we don't know what this is. Mm-hmm. We don't know how long it's going to last. Mm-hmm. Do you think we had the maturity to yes, deal with did. that as opposed to people saying, oh, it'll be, it'll be around for like two weeks Mm-mm. or we we'll knock it out? Or it, was it a mixture of people just 
honestly not knowing what in the world it is that we're dealing with. So if you look back over some of the medical challenges we've had as a society, when you look back at Ebola outbreak, Ebola scared the crap out of me because Ebola's uh, course of action was horrific when you came down with Ebola. And it was insidious. It was, it was the same thing. Um, and I have, to, I have to make sure that I'm very clear when I say it was the same thing. So when you look at Ebola and what it did, and it actually disrupted your hematological pathways. So you bled. Okay, so you would see evidence of this disruption. And it was very, it, it was painful for patients. The response to that possible pandemic was very strategic. And it was, there was deliberate, it was deliberate. There were systems in place to be able to go through the flow chart. In science, we think of a lot of things in flow charts. If yes, then go down this pathway. If no, shunt over here. And so there were things put in place to deal with Ebola, to deal with the swine flu. When those types of potential pandemic-like illnesses were on the horizon. And you had the scientific community had the ability to stand and say, this is how this works because they had the time to do the epidemiology of it. What do I mean by that? So when you look at epidemiology, you have to have the ability to look back over the course of something and then project forward. What is happening with COVID-19 is that the epidemiology of what this particular child of this particular family does is moving so fast that we aren't able to do the epidemiology of it. So for instance, I tell people, um, think of, so the way that I think of COVID-19 is it is a child within a family so like that, the cold family? Right, the COVID, the coronavirus family is the family and COVID-19 is one of its children. And that's the broadest sense of it. That's the big picture. But what happens is with epidemiology, you're able to go and say, okay, this child likes to stick to surfaces like this for this long. This child likes to get into, the, into people by means of um, air droplets or by means of contact. So now we know one of the ways to kind of help prevent this child from getting into the host. The other big stroke picture, big stroke, broad stroke thing that COVID, that I can help people understand what COVID does, is it goes into the house, it sets a fire and it turns off the sprinkler system. So it, it, it um, actually will turn off your body's ability 
to take care of inflammation in the body. That's the big problem with COVID. So it'll be the, it'll be the inflammation that gets you in trouble. Right. Cause it can attack kidneys. It can attack the lungs. It can attack the heart is what we're seeing now too. That some of the sequelae of it. Now I'm not one of the infectious disease people. I'm um, matter of fact, I've actually been blessed to do telemedicine now while I'm on you know, during this time. So I'm not in the hospital on the quote unquote front line that way. I'm a part of think tanks and groups of physicians where I'm hearing what's going on and getting, you know, information that way. And so what we have discovered is that COVID's ability to go in and disrupt the system is just phenomenal. Like, it's just one of those things you're just like, how did this kid get so smart? Like, wow, okay. And then the ability to do the epidemiology in real time is very challenging. Why so? Because you should be able to, because we haven't been able to slow things down fast, slow it down enough to be able to really know what everything means. So if we had had the ability back probably, you know, February, um, even March, when a lot of places started saying, okay, something's going on, something's afoot, let's all kind of hunker down. In my opinion, I believe we would have been able to slow this down enough for the experts to be able to do the epidemiology and say, okay, this is how we need to proceed while we look for a vaccine. Because that's what we're trying to figure out. How do we proceed with normal life in light of, you know, how do, how do we proceed with normal life because, and try to come up with a way to stop this kid? Mm, okay. So, so right now, how, slow it down. And yeah. So how? Stop right. It. Yeah. So how does this look? How, how does this look? Because we're not talking about swine flu anymore. We have right. to remember that. Right. Swine flu was, was that almost twenty years ago. It feels like it was almost girl, twenty years ago. It feels that way, but I believe it was really like about almost ten. Because um, oh, my God. daughter's like um, nine, mm-hmm. and I think I remember I was probably pregnant with her, or probably some. And it was this thing, and because. The, because the OBGYN community, we were concerned because we're concerned about the common flu right. with, our, with our pregnant moms. We make sure they get the flu vaccine. We're like, look here, because when you get sick when you're pregnant, you can, getting sick when you're pregnant, things can go bad really fast, really quickly in pregnancy because you are actually immunocompromised when you're pregnant. Your immune system has to go down to make sure that the baby survives, that yeah. your body doesn't attack this quote unquote foreign body that is inside of you so you become a little immunocompromised and that's why we say you know make sure that you're as healthy as possible when you get pregnant okay now like i said swine flu was supposed to come in here and do the same thing ebola was supposed to come in here and do the same thing but we had checks and balances in place that allowed us to be able to know what to do while they figured out how to contain it Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 
That makes total sense. That makes total so sense. where we are right now, in my opinion, as a society is trying to figure out how can we go back to some sense of normalcy while we figure out what to do. And okay. that's where all the different conversations and confusion comes in because there's no starting of the flow chart. Hmm. There's mm-hmm. no start point. Right. If there was a start point, and they would say, okay, yes, you can send your children back to school and you can space them eight feet apart. You can space them 10 feet apart. You can make sure that if they have this type of mask or this type of face shield, you can make sure that this type of air purifier is in the room next to the teacher's desk or some type of consistency then we as a society, in my opinion, would feel comfortable with the outcomes because our expectations would be managed. Okay. Instead of us expecting it to be around for two weeks, we're dealing with it for a year plus. And that's not what, that's not what we were told in the beginning. There you go. So when you were hearing that, oh, you know, we're going to just shut down for a couple of weeks, you know, of course, we knew very little about what was going on. When you start, when you heard that we're going to shut down, did you actually really think that we were going to be shut down for a couple of weeks, but that that knowledge had just not caught up with the people who were making those decisions? So um, Liz, I'm going to be very transparent with you and your community today, if that's okay. Definitely okay. I was under the assumption that this was another strain of the common flu in the beginning. And when I live in Maryland and when our governor shut down the schools, our children were actually on spring break. So that week was taken care of because, you know, we were on spring break anyway. And then when he said it was going to be two weeks, I said, okay, well, this is another week. Okay. Then it was another two weeks. I was like, wait a minute. Hold You're on. still smiling, but there's a little bit more tension in the smile, a little bit more concern. <laughs> I was like, wait, okay. All right. Trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do with the, okay, I got to go into, the, you know, I'm trying to figure out where I was working at the time and all that other stuff. And like, oh, okay. Okay. Um, hmm. All right. Um, my husband is a healthcare worker as well, so he's front lines. He's going into the hospital every single day at this point. Wow. And I think at one point we have a group chat with some friends, and the friends were just like, how y'all do it or something, how the conversation started. And I was just kind of like, well, you know, we just got to get through these couple of weeks, and then, you know, they'll be back. <laughs> my husband said, Keisha, I need you to know they're not going back to school. And I was like, what you mean? (laughs) What you mean they're not going back to school? I don't understand this. And at this time, I had started becoming part of some other, you know, some think tanks. There's a mommy physician group that is amazing and phenomenal. And I'm starting to see there, you know, these people that are in the ICU that are seeing the really sick patients, they're, you know, I'm starting to see and hear the panic and the desperation. Wow. And this is about April 
is when I was like, oh, this is, this is serious. Like, this is really not just the swine flu gone amok. This is something else. Like, this is That's not still just- a relatively short time, though, because the national emergency was declared on March 12, and you said you're into April. So that was just, you know, a, a two weeks, maybe. It sounds like a few weeks. Yeah, it was, it was. So it must have been, because by the time where I kind of switched my mindset, it was about a month when the kids had been home. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was just like, huh, okay. And I think that's when I had started and, and I was receiving a lot of information from these other think tanks, these other groups. And that's, and that was probably information that was not, that the, that was not common knowledge by then. Okay. So that's probably what it was, is that I'm getting some information from frontline workers that hasn't gotten out yet, that is not common knowledge. And so I'm seeing this and I'm going, yeah, this this isn't going to wrap up really quick. That sounds reasonable to me, though, because you still have yeah. people running around defying mask orders, you know, and even though, you know, one side of me can see why someone would be a little myth because someone is making you wear a mask on the other side, it's not about you. It will actually, well, it is about you. It's about protecting you and your health, but it's also about protecting others. It's about protecting the community. So you have yes. to get outside of thinking yes. about yourself yes. only. And, and that was the conversation we had to, have with, had to have with our children when it came to the summer expectations and, and, and plans. So usually our kids go and visit our family in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both sides of our family now reside in Alabama and they've been going there probably now for about three years and they go and they spend a month and they have an absolute ball and mommy and daddy love it too because you know they they gone and um, we all need a break from each other by <laughs> then usually by the end of the school year and I remember our kids going so we're really not going to go to Huntsville this year? Like, we're, like, we're, so this is affecting not just school, it's, a, it's now affecting our family unit and nucleus. And I, you know, we had to have a lot of conversations about your grandparents, all of them are high-risk individuals, and we just don't know if there is the asymptomatic carrier, are you guys that, you know, mommy and daddy still go in and out of high risk situations? I mean, we had our whole routine. We still have our whole routine when we walk in the door, um, you know, masks go here. Um, you walk in, you immediately go wash your hands. I mean, it was interesting because right before the shutdown, when there was a little hint of there's something and we started hearing you know you were seeing these other countries starting to go through this we had a routine where the kids would come home from school and immediately would go to the shower mm, okay. i would immediately and oh so much pushback because it was like we going to bed now <laughs> like no <laughs> you're not going to bed we just and we were trying to help them understand there's something that's going on we need to be a little vigilant so get out of your day clothes is what we would say you know you need to you need to wash the day away from you so go upstairs immediately take you know shoes at the door 
go upstairs, take off your uniforms, put them in the dirty clothes and go and take a shower, wash your hands and face, wash your face. Like we were like, make sure you get your face. Um, and, and really instilling that before the, even the shutdown happened. So now they're like, okay, our lives have started to change incrementally. And now we're at home. Now we're having to do school distance wise. And now you're saying we can't go see our relatives. This is now a problem. And so did they start seeing, when did they start seeing the seriousness? Was that right around the time? It was when or? it was, when it was time to go to Huntsville. I think is when they really got it um, because we started having a lot more conversation. At first it was just, oh, we're not going, well, no, probably a little bit before then because it was, oh, we're not going to school. We're not going back to school. Why are we not going back to school? You know, why do we have to do, now it's, it's months. It's now we're finishing up the school year on Zoom. We're, fin you know, and it's like, and that was a whole nother layer of of having to push through and and get your children to be able to still learn in a situation that was very not different but it was almost like using a, a prosthesis for the first time like mm -hmm. you had to get used to something that was just so different right. and unnatural that's what i want to i want to say that it was it was such an unnatural way of trying to learn initially that they were just like, oh, I don't like this. And so we had to get through that. But I think the seriousness of it really sunk in when they couldn't go to Huntsville and, wow. and see our family. Um, so how are they, how are they now? Like, like how are, how are you mentally? How are they mentally? Um, how is your husband mentally? Because we're six, seven months in. How long you got? How long, how long um, is conversation going to be? Oh my <laughs> goodness. Have mercy. There, there are a lot of layers. And again, being transparent with your community, I have gone back to do check-ins with my therapist because it's a lot. It is a lot. And what we do, I see you raising your hand because I'm talking to the amen, amen corner. What we decided to do for this school year, I'm jumping forward even through the summer, is that we decided to do a homeschool program. Okay. So we have um, a true homeschool distance learning program where I am now the teacher at Macmillan Institute Homeschool Edition. Oh, okay. Okay. And <laughs> daddy is also, you know, the, the teacher on the weekends and when we need special things done. And so we have a whiteboard up, we have a learning pod in the house and it is a lot. It is a lot to handle. Um, I do telemedicine. So I teach in the morning and I do telemedicine in the afternoon. Wow. Um, my husband still goes to his day job because um, he manages a lab. So he's in the hospital. He's in there every single day. Wow. And um, both of us have realized that we need a team to help us with life. Wow. So what, what that means is that we have to have on board our healthcare team. You have to have your doctors that you need. 
Um, my kid, my son, it just this past week, I had my check-in with my psychiatrist who helps manage my ADHD. And that call was on a, um, on a Friday morning and I came downstairs and it was like, I thought you only see your doctor on Monday. Well, that's my therapist. <laughs> He's like, how many doctors do you have? <laughs> I was like, like, as many as I need. Well, <laughs> I was like, well, and, and then it, it gave the opportunity to teach and to have a discussion and to open up conversation and communication. And I said, well, mommy has an internal medicine doctor to help me manage my high blood pressure. I have a, a woman doctor. And I said, women have doctors called OBGYNs, which I am. And so I have that doctor. I have a doctor that um, helps to manage my ADHD that gives mommy her medicine for that. And that's who I just checked in with. And I have a therapist. I said, you know, Mr. Eric, I said, Mr. Eric is my therapist to help me help me get through life. And he was just like, what? I said, you just need people to help you get through life. You know, and, and then I have I have coaches in my life. I have a business coach. I have a meditation coach that I've now decided needs to be on my team and help me with mindset and help me with techniques to be able to navigate this world. And that is one of the things that I had to learn in the last year is to one, open my mouth and ask for help. Yes, yes. And there is no, that's one of the things I've learned as well. There's the pride. There is no pride here. <laughs> I called my therapist crying one time, called my pastor crying one time. I, I don't know what this is. I can't handle it. I just need somebody to talk to. Exactly. And somebody nothing like, wrong nothing wrong with that. And someone like you who's in the news cycle all day long, you need to be able to take that pressure cooker valve and release it. And it's not just someone like you, anybody, because there came a point in time, Liz, where I had to stop watching the news because every time it came on, my throat would tighten up. Every time they started talking about coronavirus and what's going on and the children and this and the deaths and the death toll and, and it's creeping up and creeping up. And every morning, my husband's getting up and getting dressed and going out there and seeing COVID patients on the floor, having to go and help you know, be the liaison with the lab and do certain things. And, and I'm covering him in prayer and making sure that, okay, Lord, are, have we been exposed? What does this look like? We have an asthmatic in our household. I mean, just all those different, I literally took myself off of, and I, I was like, right now I have infobesity, info information overload, and I need to go on a diet. Infobesity. Yes. Infobesity. Yes. And I was like, you, and so I literally stopped watching television. I stopped because it was causing my blood pressure to literally go too high. Wow. Wow. And I said, you're here in the, in the days. And at this time I hadn't switched my time. So I'm still trying to help the kids get on zoom, get their stuff. And I'm in my room on the, hi, yes, Dr. Lakeisha is here, blah, blah, blah. And oh, hold on just a second. The kids are like, the Zoom link won't work. Did this won't work? I need to get, hold on just one second, please. I'll be right with you. You know, I, Ooh, I'm tense for you. 
<laughs> I am here saying to people, oh, how are you doing? How is everything going for you? Are you getting up from your desk and at least stretching during the day? Because you know you can sit here and the time will go by. I'm sitting here for five and six hours a day and not moving and not going to the bathroom. I'm sitting here not drinking my water, not eating properly. How does that look? How am I going and helping others and I cannot do this for myself? How long before you said, you know what, this is not working. I need my team. I'm in the, I'm still in the process of, oh, oh before I needed my team. This was probably around June, June, July is when I was just like, okay. Now I already had some of those people on my team already. And I think I dialed it up around August. Okay. And I think you're when, still in the process. Of and I'm still in the process of onboarding different people and understanding. My husband and I had a conversation just this morning. I was telling him about understanding how my brain works. I just love when I have these little moments, uh, I call them epiphanic moments, where I'm just like, oh, that's why I do this and that's why I avoid that. And I told him, you know, when I'm working on a project, the creative stuff, I love it because that's stimulating my dopamine pathways, that's stimulating my reward pathways, that's actually stimulating for people with ADHD. Those are the things I can hyper-focus on. But it's when I get into the weeds, the details of the project, when I start avoiding. And now that I have that as a thought, as an idea, I now know, okay, the reason you can't sit down and finish what seems to be a simple task is because you're in the weeds. And then he says, you know, that is what people that really are successful do. They figure out their kryptonite very quickly. And at first I thought he was going to say they figure out their strengths and then, you know, you work on your strengths and blah, 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 blah. And, and when he said it and I was like, that's so true. He was like, figure out your kryptonite and then get people to help you with your kryptonite. Hmm. And I'm like, yes. And so that is what I'm learning how to do right now. For example, organization is not one of my strong suits. And that is because when you have, um, and, and I'm using ADHD as a broad, broad term and a broad brushstroke, because those of us that have it know that there can be different types. So most of the time when you have someone with ADHD, their prefrontal cortex sometimes gets decreased blood flow when they're trying to do a very um, directed task. So fact recall, um, little detailed stuff. And that is why it's sometimes hard for them with organization. So that is one of my kryptonites, organization, right? There are times where I'm just like, why can't you just clean up the room, Keisha? Like, just clean up the room. Just put the stuff, put this over, just clean up the room. You can go do surgery on somebody, but you can't clean up the room. <laughs> like, 
really. And so when we decided we were going to do this homeschool project and the basement needed to be revamped to have a learning pod, I quickly realized I needed to go back and call a woman that helped us to unpack when we moved because that's what she does. That's her business. And I called her up and she's like, yes. Oh my goodness, I remember you, blah, blah, blah. She had me take pictures. She came in. She told me what types of shelving I needed to buy. And once I had them, she would come back and this woman has started transforming our home. And she takes such a quick time to do it. And I'll go downstairs and I'll say to her, how did you do this? And, the, and she just laughs and she says, you're a doctor, you treat your patients, this is what I do. She's like, this is the way, because that's her strength, that's her superpower. Mm-hmm. So this is one thing that I have learned is that I need to make sure when I can identify, you need a team member here. How are you gonna get that team member? Who are you going to reach out to? Who are you going to open up your mouth to today? Does it require some bit of vulnerability? Because you don't necessarily want people in your- a, A lot of vulnerability. A lot, and Brene Brown talks about this, that being vulnerable is actually the steps to being courageous and having courage and being able to do the big things in in your life. Not necessarily be on the big stages, but do the big things in your life. So the big thing in our life right now is to have a learning pod one of the big things have a learning pod that is conducive to a fourth and eighth grader so that we can educate and continue to educate them this year so i know i can't do this all by myself so what, what are we going to do? And even the curriculum, I'm knowing now, okay, there are going to be some people that I'm going to open up my mouth to and say, okay, I'm going to need some help when it comes to X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And that does not say that you are stupid or you're lazy or you just don't want. No, you are saying, I know I'm only one. And it takes more than one to get this accomplished. That whole thing, it takes a village, it takes a community. Oh, yes, that absolutely. Is, absolutely. That is so true. Absolutely. Absolutely. So even if it seems that one person does a lot of things by, you know, alone, that's, that's just not true. Now, I, I believe it's true that you can have one person who can do a whole lot of things, but maybe they don't have time to do all those things. Maybe they don't have energy to do all those things. Maybe they don't have money to do all of those things, even they though, though if they did, they could be able to. They're just so, we need community. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. We need community. We really do. And that also helps with our mental and physical health. When we pull in the community, when we have people that will help us out, 
that actually can spark neurotransmitters that can help support neurotransmitters. And I talk about neurotransmitters all the time because they help to facilitate our behaviors. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that we look at and we just, we give it a name or we brush it off, but there, there's a chemical process that is more than likely behind the reason, the behavior, the outcome. Question. Is there some sort of chemical process behind the behavior of not wanting to wear a mask and going into Walmart and acting a plum fool? Just asking. <laughs> Just wondering. Well, now, I have not been able to fully examine that person, so I cannot... <laughs> Oh, give, but so, so this is where that if we had that SOP, I call it an SOP because it's a standard operating procedure protocol in place, then we would all be on the same page. But because there is not, there has not been allowed to be a standard operating procedure everybody just doing what they want to do and you you know you talked about this in the beginning and i want to come back to this you talked about wearing things and doing things and your behavior having a ripple a ripple effect or rippling effect so we talked about to our kids about not going to huntsville because if we go and we are those asymptomatic carriers and we go see granny and grandma and grandpa and aunties and uncles and cousins and all the peoples. And we come back and grandma and grandpa and granny have now fallen really ill. We would be devastated. Now, if we have some way of going and before we go, we're able to identify our status and we're able to be very careful and follow some type of procedure and protocol, that's different. So I know of people, I have one, I call these docs my super friends. I have a super friend in Florida and Dr. Sabine is a family medicine practitioner. She has told me of Bam, she does, she does COVID testing at her office and they do drive up. And she says, I have had families come packed in their cars doing the rapid testing to see their status, know that they're negative. She said, I had one grandfather just literally burst into tears of joy when he got his status mm -hmm. because he had not seen his grandchildren in nine months. Wow. And their car was packed and ready to go up to Tallahassee from down, uh, down, I think it was like down there, uh, my um, Fort Lauderdale area or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she says, so this is what people are doing. They're trying to be responsible. They're trying their hardest, but they're, and they're doing it with the little information that they have. Right. So if we could have, and I'll keep saying it, some type of standard, that we could all follow and then be able to trace back and say, okay, well, you broke the protocol here. Mm -hmm. That would be very helpful. And getting control. 
That would be very, over very this helpful. thing because now very 200 helpful. and was it 208,000? 200, yeah. That's that's a that's a city, exactly. That's exactly. And and it's, I mean, and we're we haven't even gotten into talking about the disparities and all of that. And I'm not even an expert. I've had those conversations myself with, on my own, you know, platform with Mm -hmm. different guests. And because I'm nowhere near the expert with that and just hearing them talk about that and, and hearing how, what this has done is it has just shown the biggest spotlight on the disparities that are already here that you know, we need to be able to now have upstream data points for different communities. And what do I mean by that? Mm-hmm. I heard a doctor say it this way, and she, when she said it, it just made so much sense. She said, what happens a lot of times is that the data points that are used to implement any type of health uh, health care, let's just say health care um, in communities, prevention, whatever, is usually downstream data. I'm like downstream data. What do you mean? Like, what does it mean right. up and down? Right. It's just like, what do you, she's like, well, you just look at, okay, um, diabetes, um, you know, so you have more diabetics in, you know, the black community or whatever. And they're just like, well, um, if you just, you know, don't eat certain ways, then your diabetes will be controlled, right? Well, the upstream data is the food deserts. Okay. Upstream data is the gentrification of communities. It answers the why. Exactly. Because I have different conversations with people that look like me. I'm just being transparent with you than others because I know that there are other, there are layers to the reasons why we're, you're even seeing me. Mm -hmm. Right. So right. I, I mean, now I do have the ability to have a great connection with all my patients. That's just mm-hmm. one of the gifts that has been given to me is the ability to really connect with people, the ability to have this um, type of great way of taking complex types of situations and, and complex, complex physical types of entities and make them very, very simplified. So I can help you understand what's going on inside your body using the everyday vernacular by take, I'm, I'm basically your medical interpreter is what I tell people, is that I'm able to see the Latin side, which medicine is based off of, and I'm able to walk in your shoes and say, okay, well, this is, if you think of it this way, this is what we're saying, okay? And so I don't take that away from any of my patients. What I'm saying is that because I am clothed in a certain color every day and I walk around in the same shoes as some people, I'm able to understand too the the complexities of certain situations. If I walk into a store without my white coat on that says Dr. Lakeisha McMillan on it, I'm still looked at a certain way. Mm-hmm. Right. I have a 13-year-old black male in my household that I am celebrating, (laughs) you know, him coming of age, but I'm also concerned that, you know, the world is not celebrating him either. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, a person who went to our our same uh, undergraduate school, 
And she also is the mom of, of a little black boy, slightly younger, slightly younger than your son. And one of the things I was, you know, I was telling her, and I'm sure you've heard since we found out about Ahmaud Arbery mm-hmm. and then Breonna Taylor mm-hmm. and then George Floyd, we can't even pandemic in peace. No. We can't even have all of the uncertainties. Not only do we share those uncertainties with everyone who's affected with the whole world, with this whole country and the rest of the world, we have to worry about people seeing us as criminals while, we tr- while we're all fighting this fear and trying to keep it together because we Absolutely. don't know what's out there facing us, this unknown virus that we're Absolutely. learning more about now, but we can't even pandemic in peace. Exactly, exactly. And so that kind of pisses they, me off. Uh, <laughs> it's, there, there are layers to, there's layers to just living. Layers to just living. And so when you are able to create some type of team for yourself, that is where you're able to start moving through the world with a little bit more ease, just a little bit, any little thing that you can do. So for instance, the biggest thing I tell people is make sure you have the right people on your healthcare team, of course, because that's where I'm a star. I'm a doctor that is, that is always in the forefront. And so what do I mean by this? I mean that you need somebody that you can partner with that will hold you accountable and will also be there with you when you're on the basement floor of your life and won't leave you there. There is something called narrative medicine that I have been introduced to. And I looked at this wonderful TED talk. Um, one of my professors from, from our college, um, was on one of my former podcasts that I had and she actually introduced it to me and it's called narrative medicine and it is the ability of your healthcare provider your physician to make a connection with you now I don't always believe that they have to look like you to make that connection mm-hmm. okay because we're we are all human and we all have some there are different ways that we can always connect. I do believe that sometimes it's easier and you do it more quickly when the person looks like you because there's a commonality that walks in the door first and you don't have to necessarily dig for it. And so this doctor that I was um, talking about or actually looked at her TED talk and I wish I had her name off the top of my tongue, um, brain for you, uh, Liz, but she was talking about narrative medicine and connecting with your provider and feeling that connectivity, that, that ability for both of you to be vulnerable at some level with each other. Hmm. Okay. And, and, it, and she even went as far as talking about because when you are even getting examined by that person, their touch, that, that is an intrusion into your physical space. Of course, you give permission as you know, a patient, you can say, yes, you can examine me, but you need to be, there needs to be even a subconscious connection that says, yes, I'm okay with this. And so when you have the right person on your healthcare team, then you can then start taking care of this outward vessel 
And then you can start taking care of the other pieces of you, your spiritual, your mental. All three of those need to come together, spiritual, emotional, mental, to make sure that you are standing on that three-pronged stool balanced. So um, what are some ways, what are some ways that you connect with, with your patients? Is it just by sharing stories? Because, you know, we've, we've been hearing that sharing a story, and yes. it's been proven throughout the decade, the centuries, mm-hmm. that human beings are connected through story, through Absolutely. literature. Absolutely. Um, what are some of the ways that you used to connect to your patients? You, you hit the nail on the head. I am a storyteller, if, if people haven't figured that out by now. I love the ability to teach through the art of storytelling. And what I do is I've learned to listen. I had a great attending physician. He was an ICU attending and I'll never forget it. He said, your patients tell you exactly what's wrong with them if you listen. He said, if you listen and you ask the right follow-up question and not just the question that's on your pad, oh, of course, back then, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, he says, your patients tell you exactly what's wrong with them. He says, and then if you go and examine them too, their body tells you too. And I never forgot that, especially as someone that loves to talk. I was like, (laughs) always, you know, like, oh, you got to say the right things. You have to... No, 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 It's be quiet, listen, and then find the connection, find where you all are human. I think a lot of times um, when I'm seeing some of my male patients, when I, you know, see patients at a wellness center, I connect through them because I learned how to drive on a stick shift. And that <laughs> is a story I can tell them or somehow we'll start talking about that because usually I'm giving them an analogy of how their adrenals work. And, you know, think of yourself as a car and your adrenals are the engine in that car. And, you know, don't you remember when you used to drive, when you learned, I don't know. And I'll say, I'm not sure. Did you learn how to drive on a stick? Cause I learned how to drive when I was learning how to drive. I learned how to drive on a stick shift and then inevitably go, what? I was like, yes. And I learned how to listen and know when to shift gears and you can't leave that car in second gear. You have to downshift to third. And, and if I'm talking and they're just like, what? Okay. I know what I'm talking about. I bring in that experience and we're able to see each other as humans. Hmm. We're able to see each other as, Hey, I just happen to go to school, to learn Latin, to learn how the body works because I love it and I'm good at it and I'm able to tell you about it. And that's why you've come to see me. And then I'll, you know, inevitably, of course, if there's a a woman I'm talking to, um, even if she's not a mother, there's a way that I can connect with her just about being female in this world. Yeah, mm, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, so (laughs) there's always something to be able to look at someone and, and even if, now, even if I don't have a story to connect with them, I can listen and I can tell them in some sort of way, I can let them know that I heard them. 
that they were heard. And I am able to take the information that you've given me and now I'm going to do something about it and we're gonna, we're gonna work on this together. So let's take what you just said, how you conduct yourself as a doctor in your practice and let's apply it to our fractured society because there are people who have been saying, hey, listen, 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 for decades, no, not even forget decades, for at least 400 years. Now we're in 2020, and the people who have been saying, hey, listen, listen, for 400 years are tired and fed up, especially after a pandemic. How can people, how can we connect to our humanity during this time when it feels like something has to shift? Yeah. yeah. If it doesn't shift for good, it's going to shift for bad before it shifts for good. And that's a fear that I have. I, I feel, I was telling um, that person yesterday that um, in another interviewee, we're at a point where we cannot go back. No one will allow us to go back. There are some people who want to go back. There are lots of people who say we cannot go back. That's impossible. We cannot stay stagnant. We have to move forward. But what that would look like, no one really knows. Um, How can we take what you just said, the power of story, looking at each other, finding the commonalities, finding our fellow humanity, so we can be kinder and better to each other? That is such a great question, Liz. And I, and I believe that is the question, that's the pink elephant in the room a lot of times. I remember one morning um, looking at one of the morning shows, one of the national morning shows, and I don't want to say the name because I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> so uh, it's not that I don't want to give them their props. I just don't want to say it wrong. And they had a human interest story about a gentleman, a black male who was um, in the service industry. And he had a white female as a client for years. And I think he was in the service industry of fixing probably like a washing machine or some type of home appliance. Had been, um, had serviced her home, her family for a very long time. And right after George Floyd's incident, they finally had a conversation. Like, I think she opened up and, and asked him about being stopped by the police. How, like, really, like, that's a thing like that, that happens. He was like, oh, absolutely. He's like, I get stuff. He's like, I'm in my service truck for my business. And I think he's a business owner. I think he doesn't even work. He's like, this is my company's truck plastered on the side of the truck. He says, I get stopped probably twice, three times a month. And she was like, what? He's like, yeah. And she said, having that conversation with somebody she knew 
opened her eyes because she thought this was some, something that happened elsewhere or that people were kind of making up. Because what has happened, and I may get in trouble about this, my husband and I saw a documentary, and we haven't finished watching it because kind of fell asleep on it, but it, it's about social media and how social media sends you certain information based on the data points that they have about you. Mm-hmm. And what happened with me in seeing that little probably first half an hour, 45 minutes of that two hour document or however long it is, it helped me understand. I said, when I go on my Facebook feed and I see the, the posts that are going on there or whatever, not everybody's seeing that. So us saying something is not actually getting across the fence. Uh, our our words of we're tired of it it's time to change are not always heard by the other people their words are not always heard by us hmm. so we have we have to kind of go back to the olden days of having face to face conversations with where we are right we have to learn that the changes are made at the local levels. The changes are made within our neighborhoods, within the local communities that then go up. And so, like you said, how do we make that change? How do we, um, how do we even start this, con- you know, how do we finish the conversations? How do we broaden the conversations? what what is how do we do this for me i'm i'm i am committed to starting to have local conversations just with my neighbor um the lady that may be down around the corner from me that doesn't look like me Hmm. if i see her out at the corner store at least let me say hello let's say hi um, you can start having those conversations before the pandemic. They were talking about how the same couple, um, the black gentleman and the white woman, talked about how they actually had a conversation outside of a business transaction. Mm-mm. And I think he sat like he sat on her porch or something like she, you know, is that old fashioned. Let me bring you a cup of iced tea or some lemonade and let's have this con- like tell me some tell me about your life so and that I- is that would be different than someone saying teach me about systemic racism oh yeah what i could do oh absolutely it's, it's another teach- guest say you know teaching is a is a is a it's labor Oh, and it's labor. I don't want to do that. I shouldn't have to do that. No, and I shouldn't. <laughs> and that's the thing. I, I heard, oh, y'all going to hear me talk about this woman a lot because I love her. Brene Brown mm-hmm. is, I mean, she's just a powerhouse. And she said something in her Netflix special, Call to Courage. She said, being uncomfortable 
is not, or she said something about, um, oh my goodness, see, I'm gonna, no, I'm not gonna mess it up. She was talking about what privilege is and how, what it is, is that you don't have to feel the discomfort as you move through life. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And she said, and it's not the other person's job to help teach you when you start feeling uncomfortable. Like it is now your job to go and discover and to be educated and to understand, okay, what is it? Help me understand what's going on. Because now that you're uncomfortable, that is now showing that you had privilege at a certain point. And now you need to go and find out what it was, what was that about? It's not the other person's job to instruct you and teach you. It's your job to get educated. Do you think people, some are, I'm not saying, not try, not saying everyone is this way, but do you think some folks are just too lazy? Because it's work. Even it's as an African-American, right. I have to reckon with my little, oh, yeah. oh, with, yeah. my, with my thoughts when it comes oh, yeah. it's, you know, it's to work. Us. I have to it's, do my own work. Exactly. It's a lot of work. And, and then sometimes we feel like we have to do it very quickly. Now, what we need to realize is that work can take time. So it's going to take some time and you're going to mess up. And we have to give each other grace when we mess up and be okay. <laughs> that is the word that I was thinking of, grace. <laughs> We got to, we, we yeah, we, we gotta, we gotta start having some grace with each other and say, and, and, and being able to say, you know what? I messed up. I'm sorry. I didn't do it right this time. I thought it was about blah, blah, blah. And then the other person saying, okay, well, let, let's talk about this. It's about staying in being graceful, having grace and staying in constant communication. Exactly. exactly. Even though. It does not feel. It doesn't feel comfortable. I don't know where. I don't know where we got the. I don't know where we got this notion that this was going to be comfortable. And when we talk about being comfortable, this is this is the thing. You will feel that little flare in your chest. In your, you gonna feel the bubble guts. Because that is your adrenal system. That's your fight or flight system doing what it's supposed to do. Keep you alive. It sensed a stress and it was like, oh, is this the saber tooth tiger that we're supposed to run from? No, you're supposed to stand there, take some deep cleansing breaths, engage your parasympathetic nervous system so that you can have clarity of thought and be able to have a conversation. And remember that the saber teeth tooth tiger is no longer. No longer <laughs> here. In the museum when the museum's open again. Exactly, exactly. This person in front of you is not here to harm you. They are here to have an intelligent conversation with you. And a lot of times they're tired, you know, the other, so a lot of times we are tired. We're tired and when we're tired and when we're stressed, we do not talk at a tone that is down here. We are, we gonna get a little, we gonna get a little excited and we gonna talk a little bit loud and, and up 
fear. And that is what some people feel um, that they get a little nervous or unnerved about. Oh, well, you don't have to be, you don't have to get so angry. I'm not getting angry. I'm just, I'm tired. And I don't have any more elasticity in my rubber band to deal with this. So this is what you're going to get. And again, then we have to give grace to each other. Okay, right. you're tired. I understand. So let me hear you. Go ahead. Say it the way you want to say it. Say it as frustrated as you want to say it. And then let's start having these conversations. And remembering that hurting someone, you know, talking in the way, expressing themselves in the way that they express themselves. And if you happen to get your feelings hurt, hurt feelings are not the same thing as and hurt bodies. Hello. And we can, and you can reconcile that. Like that can be, we can, I'm sorry, let's work through this. They can, there can be stuff done for that. Listen to me, that, I know that wasn't no good English, but that's, that's y'all okay. got, 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 got to speak good English all the time. You all got the point. Yes. <laughs> y'all got me, y'all got me, uh, y'all oh, got switching. me swaying back and forth like I'm, I'm my grandmother up in here. <laughs> Liz, I'm supposed to be dignified. Sorry. That's okay. You are. It's okay to, you know, stretch back, reach back to the roots. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. Rock back and forth. Mercy. Yeah. Y'all got, yeah. Wish y'all could see this. I'm rocking like my <laughs> grandmother. Oh my gosh. So to wrap up, what are you, how are you telling your children about all of this? Because I know I don't have any kids, but I have nieces. A couple of my nieces, um, you know, they seem to be okay. One who is, um, she intuits more mm -hmm. and she is, she is the feeler. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. not yeah. to say that my other nieces don't feel no, they do, yeah, yeah, but she yeah. is like the feeler Yeah, and she would call me up with a couple of her friends. And now I have two other nephews because, you know, they adopted me as their auntie. Of I guess course. I have auntie status now. <laughs> of course. Of course. And you know, they'd auntie Liz, can you, we, we just had prayer. We just had our Bible study. Can you pray for us? Aww. Okay. I, I will. And I'm thinking what they, Oh, they value what I say, they value. Yes, they do. Yes, okay. they do. So one of, one of the things is that we found is the positive that has come out of this has been the connectivity in the family. So our son just said to us last night, we were sitting around and he came and sat on the couch. At first, my husband and I were talking and he came down and he was kind of talking. And then he's just like, oh, and he went, I said, no, you can, you can stay down here and talk to us. And he was like, oh, okay. And then he sat down on the bed because our daughter had already gone to sleep. And he said, yeah, you know, people are saying that the positive things coming out of this is that families are actually talking a little bit more. And I said, what do you think about that? And he's like, yeah, I think so. I think, he's like, but we already, we already talked a lot. <laughs> Yeah, we already talk a lot. But I do believe that we're having more conversations throughout the day. Okay. So there are, and, and that is also a function of them doing their homeschool with me and not with another teacher. So, you know, we'll be in science class and we'll end up 
off on history or social studies or the government, (laughs) you know, Um, because they'll ask a question and I'll see the connection. So that is one of the beauties of my brain is that I'm able to see a common thread and I can pull it all together. And so I'll say, okay, guys, it looks like we're going over here, but I'm going to bring it back. And I'll say that in my head, Keisha, remember, bring it back on to this point here because that's how you want them to be able to to flow through the world is you want them to see the complete picture. You want them to be able to connect their dots and and not have, you know, too many blind spots. Connecting the dots. That's it, connecting (laughs) dots. So I believe that as we continue to go through um, our, our little house curriculum or agenda has been this year is going to be the year that they get um, some of the soft skills is what some people would say. Um, They're going to learn how to be humans in this world. They're going to learn what, what it looks like to show up as a team player. You know, because I talk, I, I, I address the chores in the house as I need some help. Daddy and I need some help now because you guys are a little older and we need some help because there are four of us now. And so there are things that um, are a little too much for just the two of us to do. And so we need some help with this. Who's willing to help me out? Can, can somebody help us out? Um, trash day, I'll say, hey, you know, I need some help with the trash. Who, who can help me? You know, I need some help, guys. Sometimes it's a little more prodding than just that, you know. <laughs> what I'm saying here is get up, come get the trash. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but I, I believe that this year, and my husband and I have sat and talked about it, this year is that year that we're looking at as God giving us the ability to be more influential in their lives than we would have been if, if this had not happened. Hmm. I feel that COVID has, has pushed us out there and us, I'm talking about our family in particular, into doing certain things that we would have not normally done and jumped off the cliff of and been and been able to do um not able but been willing to do um you know the homeschool thing mm-hmm. is one of them you know my husband laughs at me all the time now he's like really you weren't even having children like <laughs> let's start there and now you're having you, a man you're teaching them what he's like <laughs> now you know um and then just um in some other projects that i'm working on and having the courage to actually remember the gifts that god has given me and discovering even more so how those gifts can be expanded is just blowing my mind and so i believe that yes covid has cramped our styles in certain ways and it has threatened our health very much so in on the flip side of that it has also made some of us step out 
and kind of pivot and go, oh, okay, we can do this. It's going to look a whole lot different, but this is what we're going to do. This is what life presented to you? Yeah. This is, this, and, and this is how we're going to roll. Most. That's right. it. This is how we're going to roll. This is how we're going to roll. So yeah, in, in terms of how are we going to continue in um, supporting our kids and nurturing our children, it will be um, making sure to do check-ins. Um, you know, like I said, making sure that they have the right people on their team. Um, making sure they have their therapist as needed. Um, I mean, we've, we've done family counseling in the past, so they are not strangers to therapy at all, <laughs> you know, um, and, and then checking in and seeing who needs what, because, you know, our children are different. Um, son, he's kind of, he's been cool with the COVID, but he's also able to communicate with his friends via technology and he's a little older. And then our daughter she's having a little rough, rougher time, rougher go, because she's my social butterfly and we're not in the classroom anymore to do that bonding that actually women's brains do and need. Right. So that's a whole nother story about the actual development of women's brains and what they need to actually stimulate the release of certain neurotransmitters so certain structures can actually grow as we grow. So that's a whole nother thing. Hmm. Yeah. So making sure that um, they need, they get what they need and making sure that, and if I can't recognize it, hopefully my husband will recognize it or we have other people in our lives that do check in through technology and other you know forms that can say, hey, is everybody okay or is everything good? Um, so that we don't close off and isolate, close off and isolate ourselves. Thanks so much for listening to Planet Noun, where it's all about the people, places, things, and ideas that teach us, that prompt us to make a difference and do more with what life presents. That was Dr. Lakeisha McMillan. You can learn more about her and the services she offers as an OBGYN who specializes in helping women navigate their body's midlife changes. She does that and a lot more. You can get all that information at planetnown.com, including her social media handles. I'm Liz Anderson, host of the Planet Noun podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're also on SoundCloud. And please stop by Apple Podcasts and rate the show. Thank you so much again for stopping by. Until next time, take care.